of one person talking and some notes, which is pretty good. However, I don't do as well in those environments. So we're going to do a little bit more discussion today. So you'll be uh, looking up Bible verses, talking about them. I figure this is Bible study, so we should study the Bible. Not just me, and then tell you about it. You guys, we all should study the Bible together. So that's good. Um, when you guys hear about evangelism, anyone else have a knee-jerk reaction to that word? That's like, that sucks. Yeah. So when I hear evangelism, at least growing up, um, and a lot of people around me, there's this reaction that feels kind of either like it's very street corner preach style, in your face, Bible bashing, or on the other hand, it feels like a guilt or an obligation that I had when I was really getting to know the Lord at first. I thought evangelism was something that you had to do if you really loved God. And if you weren't a Christian, then you didn't have to do it. But if you were a Christian and you really loved God, then you would evangelize all the time. And I talked to someone last week at a Bible study here this morning who said, for the first 20 years of my faith, I was ridden with guilt because I didn't like to go talk to people in person about Jesus. And I didn't like preaching on the street corner, but I felt like if I really needed to serve and love God, I was meant to just evangelize all the time. And so she went so far as to move to India to become a missionary, which was a total failure, and it bombed big time. And she had the most terrible experience because that wasn't who she is. That's not who she's called to. So today, what I'm going to try and do is reframe our perspective of evangelism, or at least present a framework. Maybe it's one that you already hold. Evangelism, and then closely tied to evangelism is salvation, I think. Sometimes when you think of evangelism, you might think something like, let's get some people saved. Let's get them into heaven. going to go evangelize and share the gospel with people. So um, we're going to think about that a little bit differently in the context of blessed, broken, given around the table at New Life Downtown. Uh, let me give you a quick background. I think a lot of you guys know me, but my story, I really came to know the Lord in high school especially, middle school and high school, and uh, I made this little bargain with God. I saw my friends going one way and I was going a different way, and I thought, I'm just going to try it for a year. I'm just going to try the God thing. We'll see what happens. If it's not my flavor, I'll just keep partying, and uh, snowboarding will be my God, and we can do that. And I started reading the Bible at night, and something happened where the keys were unlocked and my eyes were opened to this mystery of faith of Jesus Christ. And I, I can't explain to you what happened except for I could not get enough of the Word. It just became food for me. And I remember staying up late at night from like 9 p.m. until 1 in the morning for months on end, just consuming the Bible. And I can hardly focus on reading the Bible for longer than 20 minutes these days, it seems. So I don't know what was happening during those times of my life, but that was the catalyst for my journey towards becoming obsessed with Jesus and knowing his love and grace for me. Uh, since then, I think I would identify with people who say they have the gift of evangelism, although I'm not sure if the gifts are always given like that so specifically, but evangelism is something that kind of naturally comes out of me. I like to tell people about Jesus. Um, I like to include people in the story of creation being made whole and new and everyone being drawn back to the Father and their image being uh, just revealed as sons of God and daughters of God. So I do think evangelism is something that I enjoy. Um, take a look at your outlines if you want. I, I titled this message Evangelism, and you can't see it, but it's in bright pink and yellow. Uh, and then the subtitle, Why Would I Want Anyone Else at My Table? And if I can pretend to tolerate them for a meal, how do I invite them over? The reason I talked about it like that is because we're using this framework of the table. And every Sunday, we're looking at the table in service. And we use these words, blessed, broken, given. And at New Life, they use the words worship, connect, serve as the core tenets of who we are as a congregation. We worship God as blessed people. Uh, we connect with each other as broken people, all in need of grace. And we serve each other in the world as we are given to the world. So blessed, broken, and given. So before we actually get into evangelism, I want to talk about these three things from, uh, and just break them down a little bit. I think it was very tempting for me to just talk about Jesus and his love and grace for a long time because I think the starting point for telling others about our faith is knowing the heartbeat of God. And something happens when you get really close to Jesus. 
and maybe you've experienced this or you know people around you, but when you are touched by the grace of God, it just starts to come out of you. And it starts to spill over to you. And something happens and you can't help but talk about it. This is the same thing with other, other things in life that we become really passionate about. I really love fly fishing. And we had an experience last fall where we caught some really big fish. And for about a month, I couldn't help but tell everyone and show them these pictures of these fish. It was just exciting to me. So it was tempting for me this morning to just start with Jesus and give us uh, a time of being excited about God together, knowing that a natural fruit of that would be all of us going and, and talking about that, it being expressed in our everyday life. I think one way to think about evangelism is the, it's the outward expression of what's going on inside in our heart with Jesus. So let's talk about um, the blessedness of God, the undeserved, embarrassing gift of grace. Ephesians says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Has anyone in here ever been embarrassed by grace, either the grace of God or by someone else? And if you can, can you think of a story? I'll, I'll give you an example, and while you're thinking, you can listen to my story, and I'd like a couple of you to share. Um, when I was overseas for a while, I had worked up this nice Protestant ethic that God loved me because I was doing good things. I could share the Bible really well. I was attending youth group. My parents were pleased with my grades. I was deserving of God's love. And that was obviously crooked, but I think it's easy to, to translate the way we receive love and understand value in this culture to the way we understand God's love. So the better we are, the better we can be, the more love we can get from God. That was what was going on deep in my heart, even though I would talk about it differently. So I went overseas, and I busted up my leg, and uh, I had like this mental block, and I didn't think I was that funny. And all of the, I was in a new social environment that didn't really... Um, champion all the things that I thought were great about myself from my culture here. And I found myself surrounded by people, committed to them for about eight months, who, who didn't see the self that I was trying to portray. And all of a sudden, I was uh, back at this place where I felt like I needed to earn love from these people somehow. And I kept trying to do that and kept failing. It would be through athletic performance and then I would get hurt or embarrass myself. And I, I could go on and tell stories, but basically what happened is I had a meltdown, straight up meltdown, and um, had all these things going on in my mind. And I realized my friends were still accepting me and loving me. And I can't explain it except for it was the most confrontational, uh, embarrassing thing that my friends were loving me because in my mind I thought I don't deserve that love. Uh, another Another example is with my wife. There's one time where I was just so embarrassed by something that I did. And I was ready for her to be mad and slam the door. And she just loves me well. And in that moment, I almost wanted her to be mad at me instead of say, it's okay. I love you and I forgive you. And the temptation in my Protestant ethic mind that I, if I'm good, then you'll love me and accept me was, you need to be mad for a while. Just don't say you love me. Don't appreciate me. Just, it's okay. I know it's bad what I did. Can you guys think of any sort of time where you were confronted with grace and it was sort of offensive to you in a way? While I was telling those stories, did anything pop in your mind? I don't think I did a good job of depicting that, but... Yeah. <laughs> What's your name? Gary. Gary? Yeah, so Gary said, uh, Jesus is a good example of someone who had no, no desire for the title or honor or authority to be the one baptizing or saving or healing. He just wanted to see it done. I'm kind of paraphrasing you. And yeah, he didn't fight for owning the context. Yeah. And so he met people where they were. Um, we are going to go back to what Glenn Powell helped us with, with the analogy of improvisation last week. We'll do that next week. Um, but we're gonna, I'm going to come back to that example of Jesus in a little bit here. Anyone else, any stories before I move on? What's your name? Joe. Joe. Man, that's such a good example. I got to say, I relate a lot to that. One of my biggest uh, struggles, just consternations with the whole Christian faith, is that it seems that I've been graced with the ability to believe in Jesus. And other people are trying, and they can't. What's the deal with that? So, this is where we talk about our blessedness. We are blessed by some miracle of grace. God has moved in our mind, in our heart, and we're all rational, smart people. We're asking hard questions. We have doubts and faith and, and crises. 
But for some reason, somehow, we have been blessed to be able at the end of the day say, I don't really get it. I don't understand entirely. All I know is that you're good and you're true. Um, so that's, that has to be the starting place for talking about faith, is the blessedness of Jesus, where we understand the gift of our faith. The idea that I can say, Jesus is Lord, that is merely a gift from God. I didn't achieve that. I didn't uh, intellectualize and, and find the right apologetics to help me understand how it works and it fits and it can't undeniably be true. It's got to be. That's, it's not because I tried hard to come to Jesus. It's because he came to me. And even in Romans, which is a, a book that people use when talking about evangelism a lot of times, he's talking about this obstinate nation and ultimately he says, I came to people who weren't looking for me. And I'll have mercy on those I'll have mercy on. And he's talking about people who don't deserve this. So this is where we have to start when we're thinking about evangelism is our blessedness and merely that being a gift of grace. That by some encounter, we know and love Jesus. And that's a, that's a miracle. Let's move on to brokenness. Uh, I titled this, A Note on Weakness, Humility, and Love. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. There's a quote down here from a guy named Brennan Manning who, he's got his own understanding of grace. Um, He's far on the side of grace as far as Christian writers, authors, and not so much on the side of apologetics or uh, works. And both are good. They both bring great things to the table. Brennan Manning is a pastor, teacher, author, recovering alcoholic. He's very well acquainted with weakness. And this quote from him says, The art of gentleness towards ourselves leads to being gentle with others. And this is a natural prerequisite for our presence to God in prayer. You should be able to feel in some way when you come to God, are you gentle towards yourselves? Are you gentle towards God? And uh, if not, that's okay. But that might mean there's a little dial that can be tuned a little bit by the Spirit of God going back to our blessedness that it is by grace that you are saved. So the reason I'm talking about weakness here, um, at New Life we use the word connect or uh, broken. Our weakness is really the one thing that we have in common with every other human in the world. At some point, we have a fracture between creation, between each other, and between God. Our relationship has been fractured. And that's what we share, is uh, that I'm weak. Come down to it, at the end of the day, there's things that I struggle with. And there's things that no matter how hard I try, I've been trying to stop doing this. I've been trying. I just can't. I can't stop trying. That's what we have in common is our weakness. And in that space where weakness is shared, uh, grace can be understood together. So I think it's really important, because this is a Bible study, this is meant to be an equipping teaching time for you guys as leaders and people who are committed to this congregation. We have to understand our brokenness in a generally the same way, in that because we are broken, we are united. We share in each other's pain, suffering, And it's in our weakness that we can grow and learn not only about the grace of the Father, but we can connect with each other on a true and genuine level. Um, I'm sure you can think of examples of these, but there's something that shifts in the conversation when you're talking with someone and they open up a little part of their heart that shows weakness. And right away when that happens, intimacy is formed. Uh, Glenn talked about this a little bit, Glenn Powell last week, and... Also, Glenn Packiam, when he was, gave his sermon on a bid for connection. Um, and last week, Glenn Powell used the language, maybe you can help me out, Evan. It was acceptance or rejection of people's offers. And when someone shows their weakness, there's an opportunity to accept or reject them. And so often in evangelism, uh, the acceptance of a person as they are, as broken, is the best way to listen and to love. When you can accept someone just because you are you, Tim, and I see that, and that's okay, that's enough, that might be the only thing that you can do to love that person in that day. And really what you're saying is you're affirming your own own identity in them. When someone breaks open the uh, walls of weakness, what, what might happen in your heart is, yes, I understand that. And that can only come from a place of grace where we know our blessedness and that truly confrontational miracle of uh, God's grace encountering us. So there you go. On weakness, humility, and love, um, 
When we go out into the world to love people or to our neighbors or our friends, weakness might be one great starting point to engage a conversation with someone else, or at least a posture to adapt, knowing that when we leave this room, we are in need of God's grace. And, and that is the message we have to bear, is that we need God's grace and love. Okay, and then let's move on to given. And really, this is, I think, the most evangelism-type part of our uh, pillar of faith or conversation at New Life Downtown is the givenness of the church and of ourselves. We are given to the world. We have this mission to reveal and proclaim the kingdom of God. And this starts in Genesis 12 through 17, which is really the Abrahamic covenant. And this is the first time that God says, Abraham, you've done nothing right or wrong. You're just a random dude. And by grace, I'm going to choose to bless you. Uh, you, you didn't work hard. You weren't more righteous than anywhere else in the world, although he's certainly a righteous man. But for some reason, God chooses Abraham to bless the world through him. The Abrahamic covenant, there's different ways to think about it, but one of the promises is that Abraham and the people of God, Israel, were blessed in order that they could be a blessing. The intent of God plucking Israel out of this world of people was so that the world of people might come to God through Israel. And that can be a little bit confusing if we take it and say, I'm blessed, I'm the chosen one, I'm in. God's been given me, he's given me grace, and so I'm a Christian. And that means I'm part of this family of God. He'll have mercy on who he has mercy and not on others, and I'm blessed. But the point of your blessedness is that others might be grafted in to Jesus, into the vine, through your random luck or grace in God. So the Abrahamic covenant is sort of our commission to say, because you've somehow rationalized God in your mind, or really what probably happened is he touched your heart in a way that ration reason can't do, because that happened, you now have this covenant with God or this call to tell other people about it and to talk to them about it. Um, this moves all the way into 1 John. Uh, from Genesis 12, we then get the Ten Commandments, and then we get the Torah, and all of these laws that say, if you don't muzzle, or if you don't tie up your donkey and he gets loose and stomps someone to death, then you need to be killed. That's part of the Torah. And all these crazy laws about blending cotton with wool, and you can't do that. It just gets weird. And the, the point of these laws is not bad. The point is that Israel would be set apart. That the world would look at Israel and say, there's something wonderful and mysterious and eternal going on with the way you guys relate to each other, and I want a piece of that. But it got a little out of hand. And we move forward into the New Testament, and Jesus knows the law as well as anyone else. He's very acquainted with the law. He holds his own in talking with the Pharisees. And here's what he has to say about the law. In 1 John, he says, the whole of the law can be summed up in this one command. Now, if you can't imagine the type of feather ruffling that would do to the Pharisees, even just saying that. The whole of the law can be summed up in the one command. It would almost be like me going up to a mathematician or a physicist who's been working his whole life on this complex equation or these problems and saying, look, all of your work can be summed up in this one tiny little thing. A, one plus one equals two. That's all that you've done. And essentially, this is what Jesus is doing. He's saying the whole of the law, everything about which foods to eat and which not to eat, which days to keep and which not to keep, how many steps you're allowed on the Sabbath, all of it can be summed up in this one law, this one command to love your neighbor as yourself or to love others. And you guys can study 1 John 3 and 4 and see if you agree with my interpretation of that, that he is basically saying the law is summed up in this command to love others, to receive God's love and to love others. And so the Abrahamic covenant extends into 1 John where he says, you are blessed, now be a blessing. You have received love from the Father. If anyone loves, then he will love this is what Jesus is getting back to. He's getting back to the original promise of God to Abraham. And this is where our givenness comes. So it's out of our blessedness that we can give. It's because of what happened in our heart on that dark night of the soul when there was either an opportunity for God to show up or not, and he did by some miracle of grace and gave you the, uh, gave you the ability to say yes to him it's from that place that you can now move into an environment of givenness. 
Here we go. Um, 1 John says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Our motivation, our core conviction for love is that there's so much love inside of me because God is filling me with the stars and galaxies of his love that I just happen to accidentally love someone else. And uh, it's not by our desire or effort. The reason I put fear, guilt, shame, these are not good motivating factors. Perfect love drives out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. It's hard for me to imagine a style of evangelism that is using fear as a motivator. Fear, shame, and guilt are very powerful things. It's hard for me to imagine that, I'm sorry, excuse me, let me rephrase that. It's hard for me to imagine that being the way Jesus was wanting us to love people. Okay, thank you for correcting me there. I can imagine all kinds of environments in, in present day and especially the last 30, 40 years, even from the Protestants on, uh, where fear was a motivating factor to evangelize people. There's a story um, from when, what are these things called? My mind is blanking. They would sell indulgences and these guys would hold their hands over fire to burn their hand in front of a crowd to show how painful hell is and shame and fear people into buying indulgences. It's a style of evangelism, I guess. And it's not too far from where we are now. You're a sinner. You're going to hell. Hell's not fun. Therefore, you should believe in Jesus. And you're using shame and fear as a motivating factor to bring people to Jesus when Jesus is saying, well, John is saying through, Lord is speaking through John in the book of 1 John. Perfect love drives out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. That's not what I'm talking about, God says. The one who fears isn't made perfect in love. If you're using fear, if fear is part of your curriculum, you're missing something. Punishment, grace and punishment don't exist in the same sentence. Just one sec, let me, let me finish. I'm really on a, I'm moving fast here. And, uh, grace and punishment don't have any, but perfect love drives out fear. We love because he first loved us. This is a very important thing for us to grasp because if we're going to go out evangelizing, uh, which you should be doing with every breath and every tone of voice that you have, you should be spreading love, fulfilling the command to love each other, then fear and control, that's not part of the way we do it. If, if that's part of how you're helping people learn about Jesus, pray for those people that learned about Jesus because of fear because they might be seeing God as something that he's not. Where we are now in history, starting sort of after... Um, the Enlightenment moving on, we're in a positivistic society, which means we need things to be certain, we need them to be true, and if I can assent to a place where you can show me how it fits, then I'm in. I got to be sure. And I can understand, I can be sure about that type of thinking that says, well, you're a sinner, you're fractured at the core, you need something that will make you better. Jesus is the answer to that, and so because if you have Jesus, your sinfulness can be made right, and then you can have love. I get that. It makes sense to me. But there's something that's a little bit off about it. It's not quite right. Slowly we can creep in to this ethic that says, if I'm good, I get love. And if we're bringing that into our conversations with people, then we're going to slowly start discipling towards a, a lifestyle that says, you got to do good to receive God's love, rather than says, because you are loved, you're lucky, and you're blessed. And when you fall down and get hurt, and do something embarrassing or do something foolish, that's the space where God's love can really encounter you. Uh, this is where Paul speaks a little bit about weakness. I'll go back to the brokenness just real quick. Um, there's this amazing miracle that happens when we can understand weakness. Weakness is actually the space where God can live in our lives. And because we are good people and we do good things, we've been gifted with passion and energy and talents. And some people are great football players. Some people are good speakers. Some people are bookworms and they just get it. We can lean pretty heavily on our natural giftedness from God and uh, crowd out the margin for God to speak. If you ever encounter a place in your life that you're just not naturally good at something, maybe it's overcoming a particular sin of laziness or pride or greed or lust, or maybe, um, like this is what I talk to with little kids, I'll say, do you guys realize how hard it is to pay attention in the next five minutes? It's going to be actually impossible unless God helps you. So why don't we pray and ask God to help us
those spaces where we can't do it unless God helps us, this is where Paul's after when he says, I will make my weakness my boast, that the power of God may rest on me. In weakness is strength. So there you go, there's a quick tangent there. But um, just to comment Gary and Joe, I agree, there's a lot of people that I can think of that are motivating people towards heaven with fear, guilt, or shame. So I'm going to move to a, a quick illustration here. I, I don't think it's working either. Yeah, and you know what? Let me just do a quick note on that. Uh, there's a story. Brooke was in Manitou. There's a street preacher. Um, I sort of have this radical vein in me. So when I was in, I went to school in Boulder, and all my friends' parents were praying for me. And uh, I went to school in Boulder, and there was a day. <laughs> yeah, you're Boulder. <laughs> you know what they do? They're liberals. So I went to school in Boulder, and there was a day where this guy, every day, the beginning, first day of school, first week of school, he stands on the corner. And he holds the Bible and he's preaching at the kids. And it's almost like this thing that Boulder just loves because it highlights the idiocracy of that style of evangelism. And I was the kid who like stood up there and said, guys, no, it's not that way. Listen. So I have this in me, but let me just say, <laughs> yeah, no joke. This is a true story. I, I stood up on the corner and was like, hey, my friends, my friends, I understand what he's saying, but let me tell you the story of grace and love. I just embarrassing. I don't know what I was doing, but... Um, on another note, there was a guy doing this in Manitou recently, and he's on the corner preaching just the worst things you could think of. I just burning in hell, and the rapture's coming, and blah, 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 on and on and on. Repent, repent. And this girl wearing all dark clothes and chains and tattoos comes to this guy bawling, just crying. She was being touched by the grace of God. Somehow, the message of love entered her heart through this guy. And he came down off his podium, sat down, put his hand on her shoulder, prayed with her. She accepted Jesus as Lord. And that was the jump start to her faith. Now, I don't think his strategy was the one that I would do. But here's the point. Since the beginning of time, God has been working through our messed up efforts. Since the very beginning in the garden when we chose the fruit that he told us not to choose, he's been saying, I can work with that. Yeah, okay, Abraham, you're you got some stuff, but I, we'll start here. I can work with that. And so it's not, it's not, what I'm not trying to do is say, don't do this, this is wrong. What I am trying to do is say, we are blessed, we are broken, and so because of that, we can be given. So I don't want to bash anyone because God is creative and brilliant enough to be able to work through anything, to draw people to himself. Um, my story is that I started reading the Bible and start, I, I would just weep. The Holy Spirit would come over me and I would cry. And I don't know what happened except for that God touched me. I know other people's stories. They went to retreats. They heard of God. I go to those same retreats and I'm just killing myself because I can't stand them. The speakers are like saying the most cliche things and they're not using rational thought and it's just putting me away from this Christian movement. So the point is, God can work through anything and anyone. We're just trying to help adopt a posture that looks and smells a little bit more like Jesus. Did you have a comment? There is one thing that overcomes hatred and pride and narcissism and all of these things that are powerful, deep-rooted things. And I think that it is love, which is another name for Jesus, love. So with that person, a little preview to next week, a, a great way is how can I love this person? Ask God this question, Lord, how would you have me love him? The right answer might be you need to tell him that he's jacked up and hurting people. That's a good way to love him right now. But it also might be uh, you pray for him. And I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, so thank you for bringing that up. It is true. Narcissism is rampant, and there are people who don't think they have a problem. I think one of the best ways to show these people that they do have a problem is to spend time with them and love them, because eventually love will create a space where they don't deserve love, and you choose to love them still. And this is where that confrontational grace, where they say, nope, don't look at me, get away from me, stop, stop. That's where you have an opportunity to be a... Uh, a presence of love and, and love them when they don't deserve it. Because if you spend time with anyone long enough, they will do something deserving of punishment or anger or whatever. And it's in that space where we can shadow the grace of God that just confronts them. So I, I'm, I would love to talk about that for a long time. Maybe we can chat after. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we're going to get to this next week. How do we evangelize? But real quick, we're going to... If you guys would, just join me in prayer for this guy. It's a great first step. So, Lord, we just pray for that dude in the sauna, 22-year-old guy that is trying to make a way um, for life by being positive, by trying harder. 
And thank you for his effort and his desire, Lord. And I pray you'd meet him in a place where his effort is not working. That you'd come into his heart and show him that he can't do it. And in that same space, flood in with an empowering grace by your Spirit to show them that through you and in you, there's life and truth. Amen. Okay, so this, uh, it's been killing me. This has been up here for 10 minutes, so I'm going to get here. Um, <clears throat> this is one way of thinking about the world. Has anyone seen a model like this or been taught a model like this? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Protestants don't have icons, but we should maybe make a stained glass window out of that one day. Uh, this, this model says, we are free in Christ, we've been saved, we're in, and there's this massive chasm separating us from other people called sin. Sin separates us from Jesus, and it's this gaping hole that only the cross can fill. There's a God-shaped hole in all of our hearts. On and on it goes. This is one way of thinking about the world, and, and uh, one way of responding to this is to say, we have the truth. Let us bring it across this gaping chasm to these people, and then they will know the truth, and then they can be free just like us. Um, the problem with this, and pardon the illustrations here, but the problem with this is we try and stretch this bridge of trust. And we might uh, love someone by doing one small thing, even just listening to them for 10 seconds. I'm going to love you by listening to you. I've got about 97 words I want to say to you after, but I'm going to listen to you with this one act of love by listening to your first 10 seconds. We try and stretch this bridge of trust over this chasm between us and others and then we carry a whole wheelbarrow full of truth. So much truth. Even just the idea that God is a loving Father, that's too much for a lot of people. Because when I hear the word Father, you don't want to know what I think about. So we try and stretch this, and of course it collapses. The truth doesn't ever even make it there, because by the time you've started walking, the bridge of trust has collapsed. It never gets there. Um, another way of thinking about this, which I think is pretty good, is uh, let's create a bridge of trust over a long time, small acts of love, and then this relationship we have with others will be able to support one small brick of truth. Maybe only after two years of living with someone and loving and accepting them, then I can say, by the way, did you know that God loves you? That's all. I just want to say that. I know you think he's kind of not real, but just wanted to tell you he loves you. And because that bridge of trust is strong and compact, it's been built over years, that truth will at least rest there for them to decide to do it. There's something wrong with this still. The problem is, let me see what time I got because this is going to get me going. Where's my phone? Okay, this ends at 10.30. So we got 20 minutes. <clears throat> the problem with this is this sets up an opportunity for us to say us versus them. We are in, you are not. Uh, I'm part of the church. I'm a believer. I can pray and say with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. You're not doing that. So I need to come to you and bring to you the truth. This sets up a framework where automatically we are superior, we are in, we are out. We become the deliverers and the proclaimers and the teachers. So I, th I want to critique this even more, even though this is better, this is closer. Uh, let's not go there just yet. You have orthodoxy. This week is the orthodoxy teaching, which is we're trying to get theology down. Next week we're going to talk about orthopraxy. How do we apply this? But I have written under here, evangelism is one beggar telling another where he found water. It is the proclamation of the kingdom of God, that the sick are healed, the dead are raised, that there is hope for all things. Has anyone ever heard of the angle scale before? Another tool used in... Basically, it says uh, zero is salvation. You get saved, you move from negative one to zero, and then you are discipled onto perfection from... You know, one of the, the Wiccan Satan worshippers at like negative million and uh, Jesus at positive infinity or whatever. And the angle scale will say, we've focused so much in the last hundred years on getting people from negative one to zero. Let's get them. Let's get them. Let's get them in the circle. Let's get them in the club. No need to disciple after that. And if they're way far away, we've got to get them quickly. Let's skip 99, negative 99, negative 98, negative 97. Let's just get them there quick. Um... It hasn't necessarily focused on the whole spectrum, and it's also underappreciated getting people from negative 99 to negative 98, where maybe they're still a Satan-worshipping Wiccan person, but now they can at least agree forgiveness is a generally good principle, or whatever. Again, I'm using the context of postmodern, positivistic thinking to try and break these things down into things that we can uh, put into boxes. So the angle scale also, but... We're trying to reframe this and say, there's something wrong with this. Um, 
This is one way of thinking about it. I'm going to illustrate this. The church is the yellow circle. You're in with Jesus, and if you're not, you're out. We have focused so much on getting people in. Let's get them in. Let's get them in the circle. Once they're there, then they're in. Then we can go get some more. And I, I see you guys shaking your heads, and, but I've got to tell you, this is relatively new for me. I just thought this is what it was. You, you bring people to church, and that's good for them. You're loving them by introducing them to Jesus. That's, there's nothing wrong with that thinking, uh, or at least not the motivation. For me, I was trying to please and serve God. I interpreted the Word and Scriptures and what other people were telling me to say, if you love people, then get them saved. Why wouldn't you? It's the greatest gift of all time. So I'm not bashing that per se. Here's another way of thinking about this. This is an adaptation of a guy named Dave Andrews. Uh, Dave Andrews, uh, this is terrible, I shouldn't have done this, but Dave Andrews basically just erases the circle and says, Jesus is at the center of all things. He's the creator and sustainer of life. Everything starts and ends and has its being in him. And we are in the process of realizing that. Everyone. So if you can imagine Jesus in the center of this room, I might be standing right next to him. Uh, someone else might be towards the back of the room. There's really no threshold that I cross where I'm in with Jesus. But I can always be moving closer to him. One way to think about evangelism, rather than getting people in, is to say, let me help you move close to light. Let me help you move close to love. Let me help you recognize um, truth slowly, slowly, and let's inch towards that together. The funny thing about this model is, uh, this is Rembrandt's idea of Jesus' face, um, and this fear, rather than having like a circle around Jesus on a piece of paper like this, you can imagine Jesus in a dot in the universe and expanding in three dimensions all the way there's space and time. And any place in that space and time, any person or thing can move closer to him. It's less about getting them inside a border and more about helping people turn. This is the word repent. When you see a preacher say, repent, really what you're saying is, the light of the universe is here. Look at it. Just look at it. Because you're looking at darkness, and let's just look at light for a sec. That's all. So I want to help reframe our idea of, uh, I'm just saying reframe, maybe you already hold this perspective. So I want to present a framework for understanding salvation, because from salvation we can talk about evangelism, helping reveal and proclaim the kingdom of God. In this world, we have a role to help inch people towards Jesus and ourselves to move towards Jesus. And I, I want to suggest that there's less of a burden on us to save people and more of a burden on us to love people. Um, why are there different things in hell? Again, a longer conversation. This was so hard for me to build this this morning because there's so many ways we could go here. Um, oops. So let me just read some scripture here. Um, actually, you know what? You guys are sort of in small groups. I'm going to point to an area of the room and I'd like for you to look up these scriptures and then you're going to read them over the next minute or two and I'm going to call on you and ask for you to share one thing that you think Jesus is speaking to us or trying to teach us through the scripture. So scripture is a good teacher. It's the word. So this corner over here, why don't you guys go ahead and look up uh, Mark 6.30. These guys right here, back leftish. why don't you look up um, Luke 10. There's two of them in there. Martha and Mary and also the kingdom of God idea. Colossians 1, this back corner here. And then Matthew 28, you guys here. So there's, there's two here. You guys can maybe focus on the beginning of Matthew 28. I'm sorry, 23. And you guys can focus on the second part. Okay? 23. Sorry, 23. You have it on your papers. So there you go. What you're doing is looking at these scriptures. You're talking to each other. You're identifying with each other's weakness, and you're going to present to all of us one thing that God is speaking to us through these scriptures about evangelism. All right, I'll give you about a minute, and I'm not looking for a sermonette here. One sentence about what you think the Lord is teaching us through the Bible. If you guys want, this, this week might be a good week to read over these scriptures and just sit in them and see what Jesus is like in these contexts between now and next week. A couple notes as well. In Mark here, Jesus is on his way to do something else, and he sees the crowd and he has compassion on them. So he's 
he's interrupted, really. He, he's going to be away with the Father. He's going to get filled up on love from God. And he sees and has compassion. Um, we'll talk about this a little bit more next week, but the disciples are really funny in this parable because they're panicked. There's not enough food. Send them home. And Jesus was going alone when he do this, but essentially he, he allows them... He allows his life and his plans to be interrupted because he has compassion on them. And then he empowers the disciples. He says, you go feed them. So he sends the disciples out. He says, go and convert a bunch of people. Right? No, he he says, go tell them what is true. The kingdom of God is near. Go tell them what is true. The kingdom of God is near. This is like me going and saying, if the kingdom of God really is near and peace is coming, this is me going and saying, um, hey, there is no poor among us. Or this is me going to a friend and, and saying, uh, I just wanted to tell you that I forgave my dad. The kingdom has come near. Okay, First Thessalonians, one translation says, um, you didn't have to say anything. You are the message. Your life is the message. Here's a challenge to you guys. You're, I assume you're coming here because you're trying to go deeper in the Word. You're trying to understand, grow, learn. Uh, a challenge would be to read each of these scriptures. One of them one day, one of them the other day, or all of them every day, whatever. But spend some time in these scriptures this week. If you're looking for a cheater plan for your time with God every day, instead of trying to figure out where am I going to go in the Bible, just camp out in these scriptures and hang there for 20 minutes. And just see what happens. See what you learn about Jesus, who He is. Um, so I'm going to go back to Matthew 28 here, this one teacher. If we can understand that God is truly the teacher, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts people of sin, the Holy Spirit is the one who draws them to himself, who turns them to look towards the light of the universe, the Holy Spirit is the one who helps them somehow substitute pain and suffering for forgiveness and grace, only God can do that. Trust me, only God can do that. Now, what's great is that means it's not up to us to save souls. It's not my burden. If I have a conversation with someone, oh no, I didn't tell them about Jesus. What if that was the only opportunity they ever had? And I missed it. Well, we've been missing it ever since Abraham, uh, over and over and over again. Israel has missed it. In Romans, uh, God references Israel and says, I've been holding out my hands of mercy to an obstinate nation who refuses to listen. So we've been missing it for a long time. If you ever walk away from a conversation thinking, I just blew it, that person might go to hell now because I didn't share with them the gospel. I, I, I don't think you're thinking correctly. What we can do is say, Jesus, you're Lord. You're God. You're the one who can hold all of creation and make, make the birds fly and the grass grow. You have strength to make rain pour. You make the sun rise every morning on this planet and others. You are strong. It's not up to me to shoulder the burden for people. But what I can do is love them. I think a a hint, a note that this passage is helping us see is Jesus is the teacher. We are not. So take a deep breath and get on with loving people. And then watch as they turn towards Jesus. I think that's one thing we can get from there. All right, real quick, I want to go back to the Garden of Eden. Uh... What did God say? I I know you guys know the answer to this. What did God say of man after he created him? Yeah, it's good. Not only is it good, he says the sun and moon and stars are good, the plants are good, the waters are good, but of man, he says, it is very good. It's the only one he says, this is very good. I did something nice here. That's a little bit different than at heart you are a sinner. The core of who you are is broken. We have a core fundamental flaw to us, and it is sin. But we can be made good through Jesus. Now, that's true in some ways, but I think if we can move to turn a little bit and say, every human being is made in the image of the eternal God. Every single human on this planet bears God's image and is very good. At the DNA, the core level of who they are, they are image bearers of of God. And that might have gotten distorted and weird in the last 20 years of their life, but Deep in them, they look like Jesus. We can reframe that perspective. Uh, Here's a sneak peek of more like what next week will be like. 
we had this fun project that Matthew Ayers right here gave us kind of permission and authority to do. And Matthew, luckily, has a nice perspective on what is worth our time and what isn't. And this didn't necessarily translate to seats in the pews or conversions or anything like that. So we were working on a project to try and help people understand that there's beauty in this city. Particularly, there's beauty in people that might not be understood as beautiful. So we were working with a whole bunch of people who were living on the streets or under the bridge. Um, a lot of them were addicted to drugs. They were prostitutes. They were having all kinds of things going on in their life. And they were so beautiful, these people. So we took a picture of a gal and uh, we pasted her face. Did anyone see this when it was down here? We glued her face up to the wall and she gave us permission, of course. And the intent of this was to show the city how beautiful she is. Now, what you didn't know about Jamie is her name. She was an alcoholic. She was in an abusive relationship. She was living under the bridge. And there's all kinds of metrics for how she was hurting the city financially as a person who is transient. But we didn't tell anyone that. We didn't put that label on the bottom. We just put her face up here. The story goes on. Um, Jamie not only was affected by this, but other people were. But Jamie one day said, I, I found out that you did this, and it was way bigger than I thought, and I was really mad about that. <laughs> and people were telling me, so I took a bus, because I don't have a car, of course, to get there, and I sat on a bench and looked at my own eyes for about two hours. I just looked into my own eyes, and I realized that the person I was looking at was dead. Now, we were putting her up here because we think she's beautiful. She is beautiful. Look at her. But I was looking at those eyes and I realized they were dead. And I finally just got the courage to pray, God, why haven't you helped me? And he answered me and he said, you haven't asked me yet. And in that moment, God's love for me became real. I asked God to help me. Jamie is in tears. She's bawling on the street. Fast forward two months. She gets the courage to report her abusive relationship. She gets into a safe home where she's protected from male predators. She starts working on job skills. Fast forward to a year, she's living in a halfway house with other women who are trying to recover. Fast forward to this year, she's got her own place, she's got her own job, she's up for a promotion, she's doing great. Now, we couldn't have written that story out of a book if we tried. This is not the aim that we were going for. We just wanted to show the city of Colorado Springs that this woman is made in the image of God. When he created her, he said, it is very good. What's cool about that is other people started seeing that too. This is just a random candid shot that someone texted me and, and this construction worker was working all day and just stopped and went over and started looking at the beauty of the creator as expressed through clay in Jamie's face and mind. So this is a little preview of what we're going to talk about next week, how we can evangelize through sustaining beauty, through revealing and proclaiming the kingdom of peace and righteousness and justice. Um, so that's what you got coming next week. I'll tell one quick story. I know I'm just a tiny bit over. You guys okay with one story? Uh, fast forwarding again to next week. This, this week we talked about blessed, broken, given. We are blessed by grace. We are broken. We share in each other's weakness. That's where we're strong in Christ is when we're weak. And we are given to the world. We're blessed to be a blessing along with Abraham and all of Israel and the Gentiles between now and then. We can sum up the whole law in loving our neighbor, a.k.a. evangelizing people, loving them. Here's one example of how I've recently practiced evangelism, and we're going to talk about this and other things like this next week. Our neighbors, uh, so the house next to us is a meth house, and it uh, is nasty. It's really nasty, <laughs> and it smells. And we had some neighbors there. We loved them. They were good friends. They couldn't afford any other house. They were living there. They recently moved, and we got these new neighbors right away, Blankets over the windows, doors shut. We would leave cookies, nothing. We'd knock on the door. I know they're in there. Just saw you walk in there. Nothing. Nothing. So we're praying for these folks, and I would go up to my friend and say, dude, can you, just, can you please pray for me and for our neighbors? Because they got this Rottweiler. Was it a rot? They got this dog, and there's a tiny little hole in the fence where the squirrel's been running under for years. And uh, when you go to unlock your door, there's the dog's mouth just <coughs> barking at you. It's terrifying. Will you just pray for us, please? Because... I don't know how to handle this dog. So recently I've been praying, Lord, give me a space to make friends with this dog. <laughs> Just that's what I ask. Give me space to make friends with this dog. And um, so I've been praying this, praying this, and every now and then I poke my head, hey neighbor, uh, go in the house. Well, recently it was just right. They were out in the backyard, they were grilling, the kids were there, and I asked, hey, is now a good time for me to come make friends with your dog? And she basically said no. 
<laughs> so that didn't work, and talked to him, talked to him over the fence. And our friends are sort of tall, so to, to talk to him, I have to get up on our workbench and go like this. Hey, neighbors, how you doing over there? It's so awkward. They don't like us. <clears throat> but the second time I did this, I said, hey, we're just heading out, but can I come pet your dog? And she said, yeah, sure, he's great. He's always nice. It's just he's really mean to you guys. But So we walk across the fence, and we stayed outside their fence, and she brought the dog off, so we're not quite invited into their space yet. The dog is so sweet. It's petting us and licking us, and we're petting it. It's beautiful. And uh, since then, we've made plans to grill together, and it hasn't happened yet. We're not even close. They, the dad doesn't trust us. I still haven't talked to the guy. It's just the kids who like me and the mom. But that's one little note of what we're going to talk about next week with what evangelism looks like. Loving your neighbor. Creative ways to extend the grace and peace and truth and light and life of Jesus to people. A little bit less Bible bashing type stuff. Although I can't wait to share scripture with these people because it's going to touch their hearts in a way they don't even know. So that's what we're talking about next week. Um, To end, I'm going to pray. Uh, I'm not so good at making up prayers typically, so I usually just read them. So yeah, pray with me now. Father, thank you for who you are. And Lord, I pray that you would help us devote ourselves to prayer. Let us be devoted to leaning on you in our weakness. Help everyone in this room to be watchful, Lord, to the doors that you're opening. Be watchful for when the dog is mean and we can ask to be nice. And Lord, help us to be thankful, to let thank you be the first words out of our mouth in the morning when we have another life, another day to breathe. Lord, I pray you open a door for the message of your life and truth and somehow help us proclaim the mystery of Christ between now and next week. Lord, when we have an opportunity to talk about you, help us to proclaim it clearly. Lord, let us be wise in the way we act towards people who are not in our lives, not hidden in your love yet. Let us make the most of every opportunity in the sauna or at work. Lord, let our conversation be always full of grace because we know that we were blessed by grace we've been saved. So let us extend that to others. Help us to season it just right. And Lord, give us wisdom to know how to answer everyone. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, see you guys next week, hopefully. Thanks.